So good to be with you. Wow, what a great crowd, and man, what a great time of worship. Wasn't that awesome this morning? Uh, it's so good to be here. Thank you, uh, Doug, for the invite. I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to get into the Word this morning. Uh, I'm going to be teaching from Genesis chapter 50. If you have that on your phone or iPad, or if you're old school and you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, before we jump into uh, our subject this morning, I thought we should have a little bit of fun together. Um, how many of you believe that guys and gals interpret words differently? Yes. Now, I've run across some words that may confirm your suspicion. Here's the first word. And guys, are we ready with the slides? Ready to go? Here's the first word. It's coming. All right. Vulnerable. For a female, that means fully opening up oneself emotionally to another. For a male, it means playing any sport without a cup. Yikes. Here's another one. Remote control. For a female, that's a device from cha for changing from one TV channel to another. For a male, it's a device for scanning through all 175 channels every two minutes. Right? We got to know what's going on. I want to know what's on TV. Let me give you one more. Flatulence. For a female, it's an embarrassing byproduct of digestion. For a male, it's an endless source of entertainment, self-expression, and male bonding. <laughs> All right, enough. Title of the message this morning is the 50-20 rule. In 1906, there was an Italian economist named Vilfredo Perito. And he noticed that 80% of all Italy's land was owned by 20% of the people. And he became obsessed with this 80-20 ratio, seeing it in everything. And the 80-20 ratio of cause to effect became known as the Pareto Principle. Now, in the business world, this is talked about quite a bit. The Pareto Principle is a prediction that 80% of effects come from 20% of causes. Now, let me give you some examples from the corporate world of this principle. 80% of work is completed by 20% of your team. 80% of sales come from 20% of your clients. 80% of sales come from 20% of your salespeople. And, and believe it or not, that has been my experience in the corporate world for 20 years. There's this top 20% that generate 80% of the revenue. And then lastly, 80% of your complaints come from 20% of your customers. Now, I don't want to talk to you this morning about Pareto. That's not why I'm here. I want to talk about another principle or rule found in Genesis chapter 50. It is the Joseph principle. I call it the 50-20 rule. And unlike the 80-20 ratio or 80-20 rule, the 50-20 rule has nothing to do with percentages. It has to do with one verse of Scripture in Genesis chapter 50, and here it is. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Those words were spoken by Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob. And I want to take just a minute to review what led up to Joseph's words in Genesis chapter 50 there. Uh, 
I don't know if you know this, but Joseph was his daddy's favorite. He was his daddy's favorite, much to the annoyance of his older brothers. Joseph had dreams that didn't help his brothers feel any better about him either. In Genesis 37, we read about one of those dreams. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. Now, if one dream wasn't enough, Joseph had another dream. In Genesis 37, it says in verse 9, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. How many of you think by this time Joseph should have just shut up? Sometimes it's just important to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes you get in trouble. But he, he didn't do that. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So Joseph is a daddy's boy. He's daddy's favorite. He has dreams that are suggesting that his brothers would be taking orders from him one day. Um, how many big brothers here in the room, if that was your little brother, would want to put little brother in place? Yeah, he'd say, enough, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to this guy. Well, that's exactly what his brothers did, right? They, they threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. And then they told his father, Jacob, that he was dead, that Joseph was dead. So Joseph gets taken to Egypt. He ends up in Potiphar's house. And here's something about Joseph that's so incredible. No matter where he was in life, he excelled. It didn't matter if circumstances were good or bad. This guy had a knack of always rising to the top of wherever he was placed. And that is what happened in Potiphar's house. He excelled. He was put in charge of the entire operation. And so life was good for Joseph in Egypt until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He resisted her advances, and she falsely accused him of inappropriate behavior. And you know the story. Joseph gets railroaded into prison. But here's the cool thing. Even in prison, Joseph excels there, and he rises to the top of that operation. Eventually, he's released from jail, and he becomes the vice president of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And while he was in that role, the Lord showed him that there was a famine coming. And he said, it's going to be a bad famine. It's going to last seven years. So Joseph began to store grain and, and put enough away so that there was enough food for when the famine hit. Now, here's the rub. Uh, food runs out in Israel. And guess who comes down to Egypt to buy grain? Joseph's brothers, the guys who threw him in a pit. The, guy who, the guys who sold him into slavery, and they go down to buy food, and that trip leads to a tearful reunion with Joseph. And later in Genesis 50, we see the 50-20 rule come to the forefront. Joseph said this to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it 
for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, you might be thinking this morning, well, that's a nice story, John. That happened in the Old Testament thousands of years ago. Does that kind of stuff still happen today? Does God take rotten circumstances and turn them into something life-giving and good? Does this 50-20 rule, does this thing even matter to us? Is it relevant? Well, let me, let me say to you, yes, and here is how it works today. You ready? You might want to write this down. God can transform our pain into something life-giving and good if we cooperate with him. He can transform our pain into something life-giving and good if we cooperate with him. Now, let me give you a personal example of the 50-20 rule in my own life. God has taken the experience, the painful experience of major depression, of suicidal depression in my life. I was a pastor. I, had been, I was pastoring a growing church, uh, married to a hot wife, four beautiful kids. My church was growing. Uh, everything looked great on the outside, but I was trying to figure out how can I end my life. On the inside, I was a mess. And in that dark moment, when, when, when things were so dark, I had no idea what God had in mind. But God has taken that painful experience and he's used it to do some work inside of me. How many of you know that God wants to work on the inside of you before he works on the outside and through you? God had some work he needed to do in my life, and the only way I think he could do it is me running into this wall of major depression so I would stop and pay attention. But he's used that experience to make me a better person, a deeper person. He's used that awful time in my life and springboarded my wife and I into a ministry we never thought possible. Because God knows how to take the pain in our life and turn it for something good if we let him. Now, we need to understand something. Here's the, here's the hard work part of this. This 50-20 rule is not automatic. It doesn't just happen uh, because God decides to show up and start working in your life and make it all better. How many of you know that you and I have a part to play in the 50-20 rule and that really happening? And I know this about God. We can depend on him to do his part. You and I have to figure out what our part is. And I'm going to give you real quick this morning four action steps, four things that you need to do if you're in pain this morning. And by the way, as we were in worship this morning, I have the distinct impression that there are many of you here today, and nobody knows this, but you're in pain. And I want you to know something. God knows you're in pain, and God's up to do He wants to do something about that in your life. You might feel hopeless. It might feel dark, but I want you to know if God's in your corner, nothing's hopeless. And he can take that gloom, and he can take that pain, and he wants to do that, and he's aware of it. But you have a part to play in getting better. Let me give you four action steps real quick. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. Understand God is with us when our circumstances suggest otherwise. We need to understand that God is with us even when our circumstances are screaming he's nowhere near you. In Genesis 39, the phrase the Lord was with Joseph occurs four times. Listen, I want you to know something. The pain that you're going through today is not evidence of God's abandonment. 
It's not evidence that God has forgotten about you or left you. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, we read these verses. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God reassures us in Hebrews 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Listen, no matter what is happening in your life today, you can count on God being with you if you belong to him. And you need to know that. Secondly, a second action step is maintaining our integrity when it would be easy not to. Maintaining our integrity when it would be easy not to. So Joseph gets hit on by Potiphar's wife and he refuses her sexual advances. And he could have told himself while Mrs. Potter was throw, Potiphar was throwing herself at him, he could have said this, you know, God, I've had it rough. You gave me these dreams, and look what's happened to my life. What difference does it make, God, now if I resist this temptation or not? But how many of you know the story? Joseph didn't do that, right? Joseph, he, he got out of Dodge. He ran the other direction. Listen, for the 50-20 rule to work, we have to maintain our integrity to not cave into our disappointment, our pain, or our anger. Here's a third action item when it comes to the 50-20 rule, and that's this. Believing our steps are ordered by God. Believing our steps are ordered by God. In Genesis chapter 45, some of the most incredible words in all of Scripture are written in Genesis 45, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and in verse 8, listen to what he says to the guys who sold him into slavery. He says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Can you believe that? Joseph somehow, I, I'm pretty sure Joseph didn't feel that way right away. It probably took him some time to latch on to God's greater purpose, but he had gotten to such a place in his walk with God that he said, look, brothers, I know you think you sent me here, but God sent me here. Listen, if you want God to take the pain in your life and turn it into something good, you have to believe your steps are ordered by him. When I was in the darkest days of my depression, I felt cut off from God, but I wasn't. I believe my life was over, but it wasn't. I saw no possible good coming from it, but God had a grander plan. Listen, if you belong to Jesus, your steps are ordered by him. And if I was God, I'd make every step be on a beach in Hawaii, making my way to a hammock, sipping raspberry iced tea, watching the waves roll in. How many of you glad I'm not God? He's thinking, hey, man, that sounds pretty good. God, know, you know something? God is so smart. He knows we don't prosper when we're comfortable. You know when we prosper? When we're uncomfortable. When he's stretching us. And you might be here this morning in being stretched and you're annoyed with God because he's stretching you. Listen, it's out of his love that he's doing that for you. Your steps are ordered 
by him. Let me give you one more action step this morning. If you want the 50-20 rule to work in your life, it means forgiving those who hurt you. Forgiving those who've hurt you. Now, maybe you've been tracking with me so far, but this fourth step is where you want to jump off the train. You might be thinking, forgive, forget it. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they treated me. And you know what? You're right. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Bitterness imprisons us in our pain. Forgiveness propels us toward healing. Bitterness will imprison you in your pain. Forgiveness will propel you toward healing. You know, Joseph eventually forgave his brothers for the horrible acts of throwing him into a pit and selling him into slavery. And I'm sure it took some time and process for him to get there, but eventually he got there. Listen, if you've been deeply wounded in your life, and I know that there are many of you here this morning who have been in one way or another, if you've been deeply wounded, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. I'm not saying forgiveness will be automatic. Sometimes, depending on the depth of the wound, it takes process and time to get to that place. But remember Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I've got news for you. Bitterness and grudge holding will derail God's purpose for your life. It will derail his master plan for you. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling to forgive and you, you've tried and you can't let go of that, get help. Find a counselor. I, I'm sure there's counseling service available here at the university. Don't hold on to that because here's what will happen. That bitter root will grow and it will defile not only you, but it will defile all the people around you. Bitterness is a cancer that cannot be contained. So this morning, before we dismiss, can I ask you to do just one thing? One thing. Would you invite God to do a 50-20 on your pain? Would you invite God to come into that part of your life that difficulty that you're experiencing and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't get what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing. But would you come and transform that into something life-giving and good? Here's what we need to know about Joseph. God took the most painful thing that happened in Joseph's life and he transformed it into his legacy, the saving of many lives. So I don't know where you are in your own individual life this morning. You might be in a pit. You might feel like you're in a prison. But I want you to know something. If you feel that way, God is working his part of the 50-20 rule. He is shaping your character. He's tempering your heart. And he's teaching you things you cannot learn any other way. Listen, if I hadn't gone through that deep depression, if I didn't know what it was like to feel like I want to take my life, I would not be able to help leaders the way we're helping them today. Let me just give you a stat about uh, uh, pastoral leaders. 47% of pastors report suffering major depression, almost five out of 10. 
And in the business world, in corporate leadership, it's not much better. So whether you're going into the ministry or whether you're going into the corporate world, listen, if you're going through a hard time right now, don't fight it. Let God do his work. And if you can't handle it on your own, and listen, most things in life I can't handle on my own. I need help. Get the help you need. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. I was a 34-year-old pastor. I was broken. The first thing I did after I realized what was going on is I picked up the phone. I called my doctor. I called a counselor. And I got busy getting better. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in that boat this morning, to do the same. I want to close with one scripture this morning. It's in Revelation chapter 19, and John, the Apostle John, is describing a scene in heaven. And here's what he says. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting. There's going to be shouting in heaven. That's going to be neat. Shouting. Hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. How many of you want to be part of that? That's going to be fun. Here's what I think might be going on, maybe just a thread of what might be going on and why that response is so over the top. Here's what I think. That when we get to heaven and we see the full beauty of God's 50-20 plan in our lives, the, pray, the place is going to erupt in thunderous praise because we'll be able to see the plan of God from a clearer perspective than ever before. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're going through a tough time, I'm sorry that you are. I really am. If you're struggling emotionally this morning, you're in pain, you're depressed, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I, I believe no one should have to go through that, but listen, it happens, even to people who love Jesus. What I said this morning is not an attempt to diminish how you feel, okay? But here's what I want you to know. No matter what you're going through, there's hope. It's, and, and it's not false hope, it's legitimate hope. It's real God can take what you're going through. He can use your brokenness. As a matter of fact, he'll use your brokenness and make you a better person. He'll make you deeper. He'll make you more effective. He'll make you more compassionate. Uh, when I was 18 and 20 years old, I had about that much compassion for people. But going through the ringer has taught me a whole new level of what it means to feel somebody's anguish and feel somebody's pain. And if you want to be successful in life, you have to have a sense of what people are going through. And you have to be able to identify with them. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Here's what I want to do. We're almost done. I got four minutes left. But I'd like there to be no looking around. I want just a private moment between you and the Lord and myself this morning. And simply I want to ask, how many of you this morning say, John, I'm just really going through 
a tough time right now. Would you just put your hand up and hold it up for a minute so I can see it? Just hold on to it for a bit. Keep it up. All right. You can put your hands down. Would you let me pray for you? Lord, I couldn't count the number of hands this morning. It's too many. I'm so glad, God, you know what's going on. Not only do you know, you care. And you want to do something about it. So I pray for those who raised their hands this morning. Lord, help them not to allow what they're going through to make them run away from you. Help them, God, not to make excuses for poor behavior, bad behavior, because they're in pain. I pray this morning, God, that you would begin to shine a glimmer of hope into that difficulty. Might be a broken relationship. It could be a number of things. And God, that the students and adults here that raised their hands this morning would leave here, God, with some hope. Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. God, I know that it's Satan's design to destroy every one of the students and faculty and adults and guests in this building this morning. I have no doubt about that. And Lord, when we're going through a hard time, he whispers things like God doesn't care. If God was really there, he wouldn't allow this to happen. God, we, we, we rebuke Satan in his lies in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that truth would rush in. God, I pray that real hope would rush in. God, I pray for those this morning who are in really deep water, that they will reach out for help. God, they will humble themselves and admit, I need help. Because here's the good news. There's help. There's hope. Father, if we do what you ask us to do and we, and we get the right set of, of direction from a counselor or a doctor and we put that into our lives, God, so many of us will get better. Thank you that there's a high cure rate for this. But not unless we do our part. So God, help us to do our part. Help my friends here at North Central to do their part. And students, it's my prayer this morning that you will feel loved by God. That you'll feel loved by him because you are. Unconditionally, deeply, more deeply than you know, and that you will operate out of that sense of his love for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to hang out here for a little bit uh, after chapel. If you want to come up, talk, pray, um, I'm here for you. Uh, but other than that, thank you so much for having us, having me. You're dismissed.